Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some heads of, the, of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only the priest? Or haven't you read in the law that, the, that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, Who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Um, I was telling the, uh, telling the folks who were here earlier for our prayer time at 9. By the way, if you ever want to come, 9 a.m., we gather for prayer in the back of the sanctuary. You are welcome um, at any, any Sunday to show up at 9 and come pray with us. And I just spent a little time. But I was confessing to them. I woke up this morning and um, just been really irritable this morning. Like just one of those mornings where everything just needles at you. Uh, and unfortunately, it made me a little short with some of the people that I love the most. Um, you, ever, you ever been there? You ever been there? Yeah. Some days we just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Or we played way too much volleyball yesterday and we're sore and maybe that's why. Or whatever, you know, you ate too much brisket and the fattiness is just messing with your brain. I, whatever, right? There are lots of times that we, we get up and we go about our lives and we're out of sorts. We're just a little off. Um, and a lot of times those things happen because of external circumstances. A lot of times they happen because we've done them to ourselves. We've failed to rest. We've put stress and burdens on our shoulders that don't belong there. As human beings, we are really good at tyrannizing ourselves. We're really good at oppressing ourselves. Um, And when I see the therapists in the room shaking their head, nodding their heads, I I know I'm in a good spot, right? So we're, we're in a really... We're really good at oppressing ourselves. We're really good at tying up burdens and putting them on our own backs. You can think about the ways that you tend to oppress yourself. Taking on burdens that are not yours to carry. Taking responsibility for the reactions and thoughts of other people that you're not responsible for. Hurrying is a source of stress that in our world and culture, we so easily fall into the, the hurry and the rush. You ever met one of those people who thinks that they're important because they're in a hurry? And so they do everything in a hurry because they think it makes them important. And you're like, no, 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 please just slow down. Like just, just slow down. You really don't need to be rushed. 
people who think that, that the, their busyness gives them meaning and makes them important. Anybody, anybody in this room, one of those people? That being busy makes you feel important and wanted and needed? We're really good at oppressing ourselves. One of those ways is by setting unrealistic expectations for ourselves. We do this all the time. We set these unrealistic expectations for ourselves, and sometimes those unrealistic expectations are really about what other, how other people respond to us. We want to live and do, such, do things in such a way that other people will respond in a certain way, and we make ourselves responsible for how other people act and think and live. Now, here's the real problem with self-oppression, which we are very good at. We cannot oppress ourselves or tyrannize ourselves without ultimately doing it to other people too. Those unrealistic expectations we set for ourselves, we start to think of that for other people. Those ways that we push ourselves, the ways that we, that we buy into the lie that busyness makes us important, makes us look at other people who aren't as busy or aren't as hurried or aren't as rushed as we are and assume that they're lazy or less important to look down on other people. The ways that we tend to stress ourselves out and create unrealistic expectations for ourselves and create stress for ourselves ultimately turn into ways of judging other people. You ever noticed that the thing that you're tempted most to judge in other people is the thing you dislike about yourself the most? We look in the mirror and we see ourselves and that, that part of us that we wish would get worked out is the thing that we're most harsh with other people about. We judge people most harshly in the ways that we dislike ourselves. And all of this can come back to a lack of real rest and centering. You notice those ways that we oppress ourselves so often, they have to do with moving from one thing to the next, pushing ourselves to do things that we can't actually be responsible for. Where if we would actually step back and take a moment and breathe and rest, and as Christians, root ourselves deeply in who we are in Jesus, all of those unrealistic expectations would go away. Those ways that we tend to judge other people would go away because we would stop judging ourselves. If we really step back and we root ourselves in our identity in Christ, that's where the freedom from self-oppression comes. This happened in uh, the region of Galatia. So way back when the Bible was being written, when the New Testament was being written, in the early decades of the first century of A.D., right, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was this guy called by Jesus to go out and start churches in different regions. And what we have in the New Testament are the letters that Paul wrote to those regions. And when, when he wrote a letter to a region, say to Ephesus, which was a city but also a larger area around the city, or to Galatia, which was really a big area made up of all these little cities, he was writing these letters to a group of people in a large area, and this letter would go out and get read at all the little house churches that met in these regions. And here in Galatia, there was a large Jewish population. And this large Jewish population was initially put together with the Christians. Christianity grew out of Judaism. It, it was a sect of Judaism. And so when Paul would go to a region to start a new church, he would immediately go to the Jewish synagogue and he'd begin teaching about Jesus. 
And the very first followers of Jesus in any place were always Jews. Because that's where the Apostle Paul started. And then he would go from there to the marketplace and start talking to non-Jews, Gentile people. And inevitably, these Jewish people and these Gentile people would get together following Jesus together and there would be conflict. Because the Jewish people would say, you've got to do this. You've got to follow this law. These are the rules that God gave us. That's what we've got to do. You Gentiles aren't doing that. And it's a problem. And that's ultimately why the church becomes separate from the synagogue. Because these now ragtag group of Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus can no longer go to the synagogue together. They can no longer be part of that Jewish community. They begin to see themselves as something different because the Jewish community sees them as something different. And they begin to worship separately and gather separately. And here in the region of Galatia, there's a particular group of Jewish people. Now, here's something you've got to understand about first century Judaism. Judaism way back when. It was not like a monolith. It wasn't one thing. There were all kinds of different groups. Just like there are all kinds of different groups of Christians today, there were all kinds of different groups of Jewish people then, that day. Not all Jewish people were like legalists, like you got to follow this rule to know God loves you and cares for you. But some were, just like today there are some Christians who will tell you, this is your checklist and if you don't follow it, God doesn't love you. And so in this day, there were people called Judaizers. These Judaizers were like the king legalists. They had the list of rules. They knew exactly how to size you up according to God's law. And they could tell by watching how you lived if God really loved you or not. If you were really in or not. And these Judaizers would come in and infiltrate the church and begin to teach, hey, if you're not observing this law and that law and doing this thing and that thing, then you're out. And the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia to say, wait a minute, don't listen to them. They're, they're oppressing you. They're tying up the law as a burden to put on your shoulders that Jesus has freed you from. And so here in chapter 5 of the letter to the churches in Galatia, the Apostle Paul says, he starts the, the chapter off, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't submit to the list of rules because Jesus has set you free. Reject the oppression of the Judaizers. Reject the oppression of the legalists who want to give you a list of rules to follow. And he makes this case here that these Judaizers were telling Christians, hey, if you're not circumcised, you got to be circumcised or you're not in. And so Paul makes the case here, that's no, that is not what needs to happen. You don't have to go and be circumcised. And then in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the royal law of Jesus. The only law. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the checklist for the Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's making the case here that you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you're creating systems of laws and rules for them to follow and then judging them based on that. That is not loving your neighbor as yourself. He's pointing out and saying, look, these guys have grace for themselves that they don't have for you, which is inevitably what we do with religious law. 
religiosity without grace, without Sabbath rest, legalism without the good news of Jesus is a way of tying up burdens and putting them on other people's shoulders and then judging them based on that, all while giving ourselves a pass, all while giving ourselves grace. And this is exactly the opposite of the good news of Jesus. But it's what we tend to do. And unfortunately, when it happens within a religious context, it's worse than in any other way. Religious oppression is the worst. Because it creates systems of power and it creates systems of judgment so that some people can feel closer to God and better and, and prouder and more, more loved by God than other people. And they can come to you and say, well, I know you're not really in because you don't do this and this and this and you do this, this and this. And yet it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that's exactly what was going on back in Matthew chapter 12. You see, there were laws around the Sabbath, around resting. The Sabbath was one day a week established by God in the Jewish law where you were supposed to rest. And rest meant do no work. God is clear about that. God is explicit about that. To rest on the Sabbath means to do no work. To spend time with your brothers and sisters, with your family, to focus your attention on God and on your relationship with him and with others. And not to labor, not to toil. And God gave us the Sabbath to remind us, one, that we are not indispensable. That the world will continue on without us. And as much as that feels to some of us hard to carry, hard to hear... I want to feel indispensable to my wife and to my children and the people who love me and the people who care about me. I want to believe that I am absolutely indispensable. And it's true. They need me. And they want me. And it's good. But also, the world won't end if I'm not in it. The life will continue on. Things will continue going. And God gives us the Sabbath to remind us that the world is not spinning because I'm on it. The world is not moving because I keep working. Things will continue to happen. Life will go on with or without me. And so we're given the Sabbath to remind us the only indispensable party here is God himself. And I can lay down my work and trust that God has things in control. It's not a way of putting myself down. It's not a way of, of fading into the background of my life. It's a way of recognizing the greatness and goodness of God who will continue to work on behalf of my family, on behalf of my work, on behalf of my world, even when I'm doing nothing. And so God invites us into Sabbath to lay down our toil and say, I'm not going to work today. And life is going to go on. And the world will not end because I didn't look at my phone for 12 hours. The world will not end because I didn't vacuum my floor today. Some of y'all really need to hear that, okay? All right. God gave us Sabbath to remind us that we're not indispensable. And to remind us that he's in control. That he is our good father who has everything in his hand. And he gave us Sabbath because he knows we need it. 
God knows our tendency to bind up rules and to force ourselves and to create busyness that is unnecessary to our lives. God knew our tendency to stress ourselves out by working and working and working and working and not stopping and laying things aside. God knew that we needed that break to rejuvenate ourselves. And God knew that we needed that space to turn our attention to Him. Because our tendency was to fill all of our times with content and things and work and not to sit back and be still and know that He is God and I am not. God gave us Sabbath as a gift. And He wrote it into His law for His people. As a way of saying, this is so important, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is so important that I'm going to put it in my very law for you to follow and observe. Over time, though, people did what they do with laws. And they built on it, and they built on it, and they built on it. And they would come across a new situation, and the leaders of Israel would go, oh, is that work? I don't know. And the rabbis would say, yep, that's work, that's not work. That's work, that's not work. That's work, that's not work. And you end up with this whole system of codes around Sabbath. You can do this, but you can't do that. You can stir a pot three times, but don't you touch that spoon a fourth time. You can walk this many steps, but not that many steps. One step over, and you've broken the law. And so people needed clarification, as we do. It wasn't clear enough just to say, don't work. Now we got to know what constitutes work. Because this is, this is the mind of people, right? This is the mind of every teenager who's ever come to a youth pastor and said, what, how far can I go with my girlfriend? We want lines. And we want to know when I've stepped over it and when I've not. Because it's, we don't like unclarity. We don't like abstraction. We don't like the youth pastor to say, what do you think honors Jesus and honors your girlfriend? We want to say, there's the line, don't step over it. That's what people do. And that's what happened with the Sabbath. And so Jesus comes along, and you've got these religious people. And I don't want to throw them too much under the bus, because we assume these religious leaders are just, they're, they're bad faith leaders. They've created these burdens, they put them on people's back, they've judged people, and they're just loving it. They're just loving judging other people and putting them down. I want to give them more credit than that. I want to say that these religious leaders are really, truly trying to be faithful to the law. They really are. They're trying to be faithful to God as they understand God and as they understand the law. Only their attempt at faithfulness has turned into an oppression on themselves and others. And they've put these weights and burdens on their back. And so Jesus comes along and he's walking to a town. And as he's walking, his disciples are hungry. And it's Sabbath. And so they're walking along this road and there are fields of grain on either side. And they're just picking grain. And they're kind of milling it in their hands and then they're popping the pieces of grain. Anybody ever done that? I lived on the plains for a couple of years where it was like all wheat fields. And it's really cool to like, because we're so far from our, where our food comes from, right? It's really fun to like walk along a dirt road and grab some heads of grain out of it and then just kind of mill them in your hand and pop the grain. It doesn't taste like much, but it's, it's something. So these guys, they're a little bit hungry. They're kind of snacky. They're walking along the road 
And the law said that if you had a grain field, you had to leave the edges unharvested so that travelers and poor people could come and take the grain from your field. It was a way of providing for people as they were traveling and maybe didn't have food or as they were poor and they needed some grain. And so it's perfectly legal and right for these guys to take this grain. And if it were any other day, no one would have a problem with it. But because it's the Sabbath, they're already walking. They're already on the verge of breaking the Sabbath. Now they're hungry and they grab some heads of grain and they just mill it in their hand and they pop it. And the religious leaders go, look at that! Rabbi Jesus' disciples are breaking the law. He's not a very good rabbi because his disciples are breaking the law. They're, they're milling grain on the Sabbath. They are not like, they're not making flour, right? These guys aren't like running a millstone around. They're not forcing a donkey to work, right? They're just grabbing some heads of grain. But that counts as work and it crosses the line. It breaks the letter of their law. Now, the law of Moses in the Bible doesn't actually say you can't pick grain on the Sabbath, but the, the codes and the, and the traditions that it built up around did. And so now they've, they've stepped over that line. They've broken the law. And Jesus turns to these religious leaders, and he says, he gives two examples. One, he says, do you remember what David did when he was hungry and he was in the temple, he was hiding out? He ate the bread of the presence. Now that... So that's a big deal, right? Grabbing, grabbing a few heads of grain is one thing. Eating the bread of the presence, this is the sacrificial bread for God in the temple. Only the priests are allowed to eat this by law. If you eat the bread of the presence, you should die. Like the death penalty comes with breaking this particular law. And Jesus goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like the greatest king of Israel, when he was hungry and in the temple, grabbed the bread of the presence and you didn't, no one killed him. And then he's, he goes on and he says, Wait, don't, don't you know that the priests of God, they work in the temple on the Sabbath and they get a break from it. They're working on the Sabbath. You couldn't have your whole system of laws if the priests didn't work in the temple on the Sabbath. And they get a break. And they're not guilty, Jesus says. And then he goes on to say something interesting. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. In this one statement, Jesus is declaring his own disciples innocent from breaking any law. And also pointing these religious leaders to the spirit of God's law. To what God was really about. Now, he's quoting one, maybe two passages here. This one passage from Hosea chapter 6 verse 6. And in Hosea, there's a, there's a prophet named Hosea who's speaking to God's people on God's behalf. And the people have been breaking the Sabbath. But they've been keeping all the other laws, which is just wild. And they've been using the Sabbath as a way of oppressing people. And God is saying, look, you're doing all this other stuff. You're doing... All these, you're keeping all these commands, but you're oppressing people with them. And I would much rather that you show love to one another and you remove the burden from one another and not obey every ritual than to do all the rituals and hurt people. But this is what happens 
when you have ritual religion without rest. This is what happens when you have ritualistic religion and you make no space for people. You make no space and no margin for human beings to be human beings, to get the rest they need, to remove burdens from people. This is religion without freedom. This is religion without grace. This is religion without rest. This is what happens in a Sabbathless religion. You get all the practice and none of the devotion. You get all the, the actions and none of the heart. And that's what's going on. Jesus is saying, you've got a Sabbathless religion. You've turned the Sabbath into something oppressive. Now, how ironic is that, right? You've turned the tool God gave you for freedom and rest and grace and made it into something oppressive and a burden for people. And Jesus thinks that's ridiculous. Absolutely silly. And so Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I decide what is right and good on the Sabbath. Jesus is giving himself authority over the Sabbath. And you can bet that made these religious leaders pretty angry. Jesus is declaring his own divinity here. He's declaring his own superiority to the very law of God. And saying, I determine how it's used. And I'm going to tell you, Sabbath is there for love of self and others. Because that's the highest law. To love one another as you love yourself. And so what we have in this first example in chapter 12 here, as these disciples are walking, is, is a great example of self-love. Sometimes we skip over that. When we talk about the love of self and others, the, the love of others as I love myself, we skip over that part because it feels self-centered. It feels arrogant. It, it feels like I'm focusing on me and I should really just be focusing on other people. But what Jesus is pointing us to here is that Sabbath is the true path to self-care. Not a self-centered way of using my time however I want. Not a, not a selfish, self-centered, me-time kind of cult of self-care idea. But true self-care that steps back from the burdens and the work of the day, steps back from the things that stress me out, and refocuses my attention on God gives me true rest and true relaxation. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and recently on my podcast, there's a BetterHelp ad that keeps coming up. And this BetterHelp ad, I, I, it's, it begins by asking, how much time do you spend on yourself during a week? How much time do you really spend on yourself versus all the time that you spend on other? And, and the, the premise of the ad is kind of like we're all just spending so much time on other people and giving to other people that we have no room to fill our own cup. And, and that's true for a lot of people. I don't doubt that at all. But my problem with the ad here is that I don't think Americans have any problem focusing on themselves in general. I don't think we as Americans have much of a problem truly focusing on ourselves or taking the me time or, or being self-centered. I think the problem is the way we use that time. The focus that we're putting on it. Sabbath is not not doing anything so I can play video games. Sabbath is not not doing anything so that I can binge a show. Sabbath is not not doing other things so that I can invest in entertainment. All too often, our entertainment stresses us out as much as anything else. 
If you, ask, if you love dramatic shows, especially reality TV, ask yourself why. Why do I enjoy being stressed out about these characters? Why do I enjoy watching the drama in other people? Why do I enjoy getting my own heart in knots around these things? Sabbath is not so that we can invest in entertainment, which I think is all too often how pop self-care goes. Not real, honest, therapy-driven self-care. That's a different animal where someone actually sits with you and helps you understand yourself and what you're doing and helps you to be constructive and creative with your time. All too often when we're talking about self-care or taking some me time, what we really mean is not doing anything and just binging or just vegging which is not what self-care really is, and it's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a true self-care where I, I sit in God's love for me. I sit in who Jesus calls me. I root and anchor myself deeply in the identity I have in Jesus Christ, in the freedom that he has given me. And I take that time, and I redirect my focus not to the drama and the things of the world, not to the things that I didn't get done. And it's not about escapism, escaping into some other world or some other place. It's about being real and anchored and rooted in the here and now with the God who loves me and calls me his own through Jesus Christ. That's what Sabbath is. And all too often, we're using our downtime in ways that are actually destructive to us because we're trying to escape rather than running to the God who has everything in his hands. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I enjoy a show as much as anything else. We started binging a show last night, and we had a good time, my wife and I, laughing and joking about it. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. But if that's all we're doing with our downtime, we're short-circuiting the way God has made us. We're short-circuiting Sabbath. And so Jesus is modeling for us a a model of self-care on the Sabbath. It's right to do what is good for your body. It is right to do what is good for your soul on the Sabbath. It is right. And never forget that as followers of Jesus, what we do, we always do in the presence of Jesus. We always do with Jesus right there with us. Jesus is telling these religious leaders, I am Lord of the Sabbath and they are with me. And when we Sabbath... We Sabbath in the presence of our Lord who says, do what is right and good and healthy for you on the Sabbath. He models for us what true self-care is in the Sabbath that God gave us as a gift to rejuvenate us in our identity in Christ. And then he goes on to show us what the true purpose of self-care is. This is like on the plane when they tell the parents, like, put your own mask on and then give your kid. Like, make sure you can care for them before you give it to them. And so Jesus models that for us. First, he gives us the model of self-care, and then he moves on. They're going to a synagogue, and in the synagogue, there's a sick guy. In the synagogue, there's a man with a shriveled hand. Now, that's a big deal. He can't work. He's no use to the people around him. One shriveled hand can ruin a life in this world. And so Jesus goes into this synagogue, and these people know that this guy is here, and they know what Jesus does. 
And they ask Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? There's that line question again, right? There's that, how far can we go? What's, what's the line here? When we, when, when do, how do we know when we've crossed the line and broken the law? And Jesus is going to turn this on its head. Because he's going to do what any good mentor should do and not give you a line. He's going to point to you, you to the purpose in the first place. He's going to point you to what God's intent was in the first place. And so Jesus says, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? Now that's work. If you save your sheep on the Sabbath, you are doing work. But that sheep has monetary value to you. That sheep has value to you. So you're not going to let it go. You're not going to let your sheep die because it's stuck in a pit on the Sabbath. Because it has value to you. And the implicit challenge in this from Jesus is you'll value what you have invested in. But you don't value this man who's no use to you. You value what is of monetary value to you. But you don't value this man because he has a withered hand. He's of no use. How much more warped and twisted can a religion get than to say, the things you own are of value but not the human neighbor next to you? How much warped can you get? How much more oppressive can you get than to say, the things I own and the things that bring me income and that bring me value are important, but not the people that I'm in relationship with every day. Jesus is, this is a scathing, scathing challenge to these people. When Jesus is saying, your sheep are more important than this guy. How much more? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Now here's the crazy thing. To everybody in that synagogue, they would all have agreed with that second statement. A person is worth more than a sheep. Until it came down to their actions. Until it came down to the cost. They would all affirm that. We can all in the abstract say, yeah, people are more valuable than sheep. But when a sheep is worth thousands of dollars to you and this person gives nothing to your life, contributes nothing to your life, where are you going to invest your energy when it costs you? And that's what Jesus is challenging them here. You would use the Sabbath to protect your financial interests, but you won't use it to heal your brother. And so, a person is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. And he told the man, stretch out your hand. The purpose of self-care is to love others. It's back to the putting on the mask. We Sabbath, we rest, so that one, we don't tie up burdens to place on other people and stand in judgment over them. And two, so that we have the energy and resources and solidarity with Jesus to be able to go and help others. When we Sabbath and we're reminded that our God is in control and not us, that everything is in his hands and we are not indispensable, then we have the peace of mind and the resources 
and the solidarity in our identity in Jesus to be able to give absolutely anything required of us to help others reach wholeness. Sabbath is a deeply unselfish thing because it prepares us to love others well. It equips us to give of ourselves beyond what we would have thought was possible because it takes the focus off of us. That's why Sabbath can't be solely about entertainment. Entertainment's solely about me. Sabbath is about me and Jesus. And it's only when we rightly Sabbath, take the rest God has invited us to, that we are, we are distanced from our stuff and our things. We are rooted in our identity in Jesus and we are then ready to go and serve others with the love of Jesus. To truly be able to say, yes, a human is worth more than a sheep or my car or even my job. A person is worth more than anything I own, anything I possess, including my time and my money. It's only when we reorient ourselves through regular Sabbath root ourselves in Jesus through Sabbath, that we are empowered and equipped to go and live like Jesus, loving others and giving of ourselves. That's the purpose of Sabbath. That's the purpose of self-care. It all comes under that one overriding law of Christ, which is to love others as I love myself. Just as Paul told us in Galatians 5 and in Ephesians 2, just as Jesus himself told the young man who came and said, what must I do to be saved? Love God and love people. And Sabbath. Take the time to rest. And as you take the time to rest, ask God, am I using this time in a way that is building my relationship with you? Evaluate how you use that time. Evaluate how you use your free time. I am easily distracted. Very easily distracted. I have a hard time focusing on anything. I have a hard time. I like to use notebooks and, and books because if I have a screen in front of me, no matter what I'm trying to get done, I'm not going to get it done. Right? I can't write on a screen. I can't use a screen. I can't even have my phone in front of me while I'm studying because I'll inevitably tap it and start doing something on it. And psychologically, it takes you like, what, two to three minutes to refocus once you've left. So you've got your phone. I've just clicked over here to check my email. It's going to take me a minimum of two to three minutes to focus back on what I was doing before. And that's once I actually look at it and start focusing again. I'm easily distracted, which makes... Free time and Sabbath time, really difficult for me. Really difficult. My mind wanders all over the place. My head wanders all over the place. Maybe you're like me. Maybe in those Sabbath moments, you need some tools. You need resources. You need things to help you ground yourself and be rooted in Jesus. Maybe you need to build some parameters around it. These are not laws and lines in the sand that say you're in or out. These are tools to help you. That's what the Sabbath laws were about in the first place. They were intended for good. To be guardrails to help you focus on God. And then they became laws. Maybe like me, you need 
parameters around your Sabbath time. Maybe you need to say, I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm going to put it away. We've built a tool for you, and it's great. We've built a tool called the Habits Grid that gives you different habits you can practice during Sabbath to help you focus on Jesus. They've helped me, and I hope they help you. The important thing is, however you Sabbath, to bring the attention back to Jesus. To bring the attention back to the God who has saved you through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. To the God who indwells you in the person of the Holy Spirit. To the Father who has adopted you through the grace of his Son and the work of his kingdom. In Sabbath, we draw ourselves back into Jesus so that we can be the best humans we can be. So that we can love one another well. And so today, I leave you with this. If you're not in a habit of regular Sabbath, and if you feel like it's selfish, if you feel like taking that time away is self-centered, I want to challenge you first to set aside some time in your week to Sabbath, to step away from work, to step away from the things that would distract you. And rather than focusing on entertainment or something to just fill the time, focus on Jesus. Come and talk to me, talk to Mindy, talk to the leaders, and we can help you with tools that you need to be able to focus on Jesus. But evaluate your quiet time, evaluate your lone time, and refocus on Jesus. Take that time away. If you're feeling stuck in your spiritual life, it's probably because you're not Sabbathing. If you feel stressed and worn out and oppressing yourself, it's probably because you're not Sabbathing. If you feel like you're judging others and you can't break free of it, it's probably because you're not Sabbathing and rooting yourself in Jesus. God has given us this gift to be rooted in Jesus. And so I invite you, along with our Father in heaven, to enter into his Sabbath rest to take the time to set aside to focus on Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for calling us to Sabbath. Thank you for the invitation into relationship with you that is the Sabbath. Thank you for rejuvenating us through Sabbath. And I pray, Lord, that as a community, as we practice Sabbath together, we would become more selfless. (laughs) That in taking the time to love ourselves well as you have, We are equipped to love others in the same way. To give to them all the grace that we give to ourselves. To allow them all the freedom that we allow ourselves. To give to them understanding and peace. And to give them the gift of ourselves. To give them the gift of who you've made us to be in Jesus. God, I pray that this community would be a community that that is exemplary practice of Sabbath rooted in Jesus, moved to love others as we love ourselves. In the name of Jesus. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.